The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Now, here's Pastor Chris Rollins. Good morning, I'm Pastor Chris. Welcome to Coastal Community Church. Great to have you with us today. Uh, Somebody came up to me today and said, Pastor Chris, you're wearing a barely orange shirt today because your Tigers barely won. I was like, okay. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I can take that. Uh, But we did. A win's a win, right? That's what I always say. Um, Hey, I want to give a shout out to uh, Ashley Honacki, Jesse DeRosier. They're they're with about 30 women from our church, uh, probably coming back about now uh, from a women's retreat uh, up in North Carolina. So they're probably watching online as they are driving or somebody's somebody's driving and somebody's watching. But uh, anyway, I know they've had a great time. I can't uh, can't wait to uh, hear all about that. Uh, Last week, we kicked off a brand new series uh, that we're excited about. We're always excited excited when we kick off a new series here at Coastal. Uh, This one's called Losing My Religion uh, from the book of James. And I'm really excited about this series because the entire book of James is all about how you live out your faith. And uh, let me say this, I am so proud of our church, so proud of you guys for how you did exactly that uh, last Sunday. We decided uh, to kick off our series kind of in a creative fashion, since we're talking about putting our faith into action, give people a tangible way to do that. And so outside, we had uh, about uh, five different tents representing uh, different groups or organizations that we could serve and uh, that we could um, you know, have a tangible expression of putting our, our faith into action. And so Habitat for Humanity Restore was here last week, had a huge truck. Oh my goodness, they were so excited because we filled up the truck. Uh, that was really cool. And then uh, Red Cross, uh, American Red Cross, they were here, and they had so many people volunteer to give blood that they actually decided uh, to come back on October the 14th to the tailgating uh, party that we're having outside and bring their mobile uh, blood bank so that people could give blood on that day. They were so impressed. So that's kind of cool. And then, uh, well, hold on, hold on, I'm going to keep going. So then our food bank, our food bank was honestly desperately low. It was really, really low. We feed an enormous amount of people uh, in our community, and then we have a mobile food bank that we take on uh, Saturday serve, the first Saturday of every month out to North Charleston and feed the homeless and hurting there. And it was low. It was really low. We really needed food. And you have filled our food bank to overflowing. So that's awesome. Operation Christmas Child received a ton of shoe boxes and a ton of toys and supplies. And uh, the packing and wrapping party is coming up. And we're, we're getting well prepared for that. Uh, we had volunteers sign up for Oakland Elementary School. You guys just went above and beyond. So I am so proud of you. And uh, many of those things you can continue to support. Uh, our food bank, uh, serving at Oakland, Operation Christmas Child. Um, So let's dig in this morning um, with the book of James. If you have your Bibles with you, you can follow along. We're going to be making our way through this book. Uh, The verse is there. The passage is uh, on your outline, and uh, you can see it on, on, on the screen as well. So James begins his letter by saying, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Now, first of all, I think it's important to note here that James really could have identified himself in any number of ways. We kind of touched on this a little bit last week. Remember, he he could have said, hey, James, the lead pastor of the Jerusalem church or the brother of Jesus who knew him better than anyone else. He could have said that. But instead, he simply says, James, a servant 
of Jesus. Now the word servant here in Greek uh, is the word doulos, and in the first century that actually meant slave. And depending on which translation you have this morning, you might see that word instead. In other words, here's what he's saying. Hey guys, guess what? Jesus is my master. Jesus dictates my behavior. Um, So in other words, even in the greeting here, James is urging us to do more than just say you believe in Jesus. He's urging us to to put our faith into action, to be obedient to our master. In other words, whatever Jesus says, that goes. Now, it's important to figure out who he's writing to. So who are the recipients of this letter? Now, this is very important, especially for our discussion today, and then as we make our way through this letter. He says here, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations... Okay, who were they? I mean, it kind of sounds like they were Jewish. If you know anything about the Old Testament, well, you're right. They were Jewish. The letter of James is written primarily to Jewish Christians um, who had been scattered all over the known world due to the severe persecution that they were experiencing because of their faith in Jesus. And we kind of mentioned that a little bit last week. Now, more than likely, though, many of these people had been members of the Jerusalem church where James had pastored. So he knew these people. I mean, he knew them intimately. He knew them personally. He knew their names. We know from history that some of them were beheaded. Many of them were imprisoned. And so here's his former church members who are experiencing incredible hardships. You know, they've been relocated, no job, no security, completely unfamiliar surroundings. They were refugees. Okay, on the run. And at some point, you know these, these you know, loving, kind people must have wondered, where is God in all of this? You know, why is God letting all these troubles come our way? Now, here's my guess today. Many of you here in this room, I don't know your story. I don't know all of your stories. I know some. I know God knows your, your story My guess is some of you today are saying that same thing. God, why? You know, again, maybe you're going through an incredibly difficult time and you feel like you're hanging on by a thread. And so you find yourself asking those same things. You know, why are you allowing this to happen? Well, in this very practical, real letter, James addresses that same thing. And that's what I want us to talk about today. And I really believe that if you will take the time to really understand and take to heart what he is saying, it has the potential to revolutionize your life. So I want to talk about four facts of life that we all need to know. Fact number one, trials are inevitable. So anticipate it. If you're taking notes, trials are inevitable. So anticipate it. Look at verse two. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, it's important to note here that he does not say, if you face trials. He says, when. In other words, count on it. You are going to encounter various trials. If you don't have storms in your life, if you don't go through hardship, he basically is saying, check your pulse. Because they're a fact of life. Now, here's the reality, though. I think we all know that mentally. You know, intellectually, I think we get that. There's not a person in this room that would probably dispute that. 
But knowing it intellectually and then accepting it and dealing with it, that's not always the same thing, is it? In fact, you know who, where I think this is especially hard for most of us? I think the application of this is especially challenging for parents. You know, again, sure, when it comes to your own life, you know, your own stuff, you know, you know that trials are inevitable. But when it comes to your kids, your children, man, that's a whole different ballgame, isn't it? I mean, it's hard to watch your kids go through difficulty and, and hardships and pain. And in fact, most of our life as parents really is spent trying to protect our kids, right, from getting hurt. And that's a normal and healthy thing for a parent to do, but taken to an extreme, it can also be unhealthy. In fact, I actually think that we can make a big mistake as parents if we are cultivating within our children this overly naive view of life. What am I talking about? Let me give you a couple of examples. Okay. Don't deny them anything that they want really badly because, you know, that would upset them and you wouldn't want them to become disappointed. And, and whatever you do, you know, Definitely don't spank them or discipline them because that would hurt and you only want to give them love and protection. And, you know, if they ever have a problem with a teacher in school, make sure you always intervene and you always take their side so that they never have to face the consequences. And my goodness, if they ever play sports, whatever you do, make sure that everybody wins a trophy because, you know, it, it, it'll hurt too badly when they lose. Now, you laugh, but that's, that's the culture in which we live right there, isn't it? But do you know what can happen to the kids who are parented that way? They grow up naively thinking that life is all about them and it's supposed to be nearly perfect all the time. And then when it's not, they feel cheated and they don't know how to handle it. This class is boring. I'm not going. This marriage isn't fulfilling. I'm getting out. This job is hard. I quit. This church isn't meeting all my needs. I'm going somewhere else. This relational conflict that I'm, I'm going through, it's unpleasant. I'm going to avoid it. You see, the first step in learning to cope with trials is this. Accept them as inevitable. You know, you've got to teach your kids that trouble is not an elective in life. It's a required course. In fact, James points out here that these trials come in various ways. In fact, he uses a phrase here, many kinds. And that's actually the word from which, in Greek, from which we get our, our term polka dot. Polka dot. In other words, so he's painting this word picture here. This illustration of our trials kind of covering the landscape of our lives with you know, different sizes and different kinds, just like polka dots. He's saying they're inevitable. They're, they're, they're an unpredictable part of life. And some people get hit harder than others. You know, some have fender bender problems while others experience head-on collisions. One person may lose his wallet. Another loses business. You know, one person might get a blister. Another, a coronary. And so, just like polka dots, he's saying, you know, they come in various sizes, various ways, but they come. They're inevitable. You remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? He was talking about this very thing, and he said, do not worry, and then you kind of expect him to say something like, well, you know, nothing bad is going to happen to you if you follow me. But that's not what he said. He said, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. 
Each day has enough what? Trouble of its own. So, you know, listen, I'm telling you, if, if anybody ever tries to sell you on this idea that, you know, maybe you're reading in a book or you see some preacher on TV and he's selling you on this idea that, you know, once you become a believer, man, man, life is great. You know, the, no trials. Trials are over. You're going to be, you know, prosperous and healthy. Listen, you, you should know that he is either speaking from a closed Bible or an empty head. Okay, one way or the other, he's wrong. Trials are coming and they're inevitable. And then it gets even crazier. James actually starts this verse with one of the most, what appears to be one of the most ridiculous statements in the entire Bible. He says, consider it joy. What? And again, remember who he's reading to. I mean, who he's writing this letter to. I mean, they could have easily went, seriously, Pastor James? You know, we're on the run here. We're in hiding. How would you like to get a letter like that? Consider it joy. I mean, what do we do with that? In fact, okay, let's, let's get real practical here. Let's say that today, right after church, you're heading home and your car breaks down. Unexpected trial. Now, so is James saying that when something like that happens, you should just get out on the side of the street and just do a little happy dance. Woo! My car broke down, you know? Is, is that what he's saying? Or... You know, did you like that happy dance? I worked on that all week long. No, anyway. Um, you know, is he saying, you, you've been waiting on test results to come, waiting for a test result from the doctor, and then you go in for an appointment, and the news is bad, real bad. I mean, are, is James saying that you should just break out into, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands? You didn't clap your hands. Okay. You didn't grow up in children's church. Anyway, um, I mean, is that what he's saying? In fact, honestly, from their perspective, and maybe even from yours today, you might secretly be thinking, man, is, is James nuts? I mean, doesn't he know how bad things can get? Listen to me. Look, look, look up here. James isn't nuts. He is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he completely understood how insane this world can be. Remember, he was living it. He was martyred for his faith. So what is he getting at, and how does it apply to us? I mean, he's trying to get us to see something so much deeper than just the trials themselves. Fact number two, trials have a purpose. So rejoice in it. He's saying that you can, it is possible to respond with joy when you face trials of many kinds because God is up to something. Whatever it is you're going through, listen, they can, they can have a purpose. Verses three and four, listen to this. Again, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, and then because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. Listen, just like you, I've experienced my share of troubles and trials. I can honestly look back on my life, and I can look back on every one of them, and I can see how God has used them. You know, probably the, the most significant trial or hardship in my life was when I was 11 years old, and uh, my parents had separated and they were headed for a divorce. 
When I was 12, before the divorce was final, my father died. And let me tell you something, I was hurt, I was angry, I was confused, I was devastated. We had long since stopped, you know, going to church, but I found myself, you know, just crying out, God, why? You know, why me? How, you know, how could you let this happen? You know, why is this happening to me? Well, that summer, a friend of mine invited me to vacation Bible school and uh, to the youth group during VBS, and then invited me to Christian service summer camp the following week, and I decided to go. It was at that week of camp that I accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, and I felt his unmistakable call to become a pastor. You know, and now I look back on that, all of that, and I realize that, you know, it's not that God caused my father's death, but I do know that he was able to use that experience, to use that trial that I went through, to produce something, to produce a harvest of blessing in my own life and in the lives of, of many people. You know, over the years, many of you in this place, many of you maybe watching online, you have, you have dealt with countless disappointments, illnesses, hardships, death. You know, you got a phone call from a loved one, and the person on the other end said, it's malignant. A loved one was involved in a tragedy or an accident, maybe had to be hospitalized, and you didn't know if they'd make it. Maybe you were the one this time who was hospitalized, and you became the patient for the very first time, and you're devastated, and you're asking God, why? You know, how could you let this happen? But then maybe, just maybe, for the very first time during, during that struggle, you learned about the power of prayer. You learned how precious and fragile relationships really are. You, you learned about how suddenly accidents can happen, and you learned never to say, this could never happen to me. You learned to love more deeply. You learned about pain and sympathy and understanding others. Many of you have experienced financial setbacks or disappointments. The company that you sacrificed for for years is scaling back, and you learn you're expendable. The promotion that you knew you deserved was given to somebody else. You know, you do your best to do the right thing and get ahead or just stay above water, and then, you know, something happens out, just out of nowhere, something out of your control. A close friend or family member uh, is in desperate need of help, your car breaks down, your kids need braces, and on and on and on it goes without fail, and you find yourself asking, God, you know, why? How, how could this happen? And yet many of you have learned, again, maybe for the first time, that God is faithful, that God will provide. And maybe you discovered that you really weren't giving him the praise for all your blessings. You weren't even recognizing your blessings. So you learned to depend on him. And it's possible that many of you grew more in those six months or in that year of pressure and pain in your Christian life than you've grown in years. You see, James is right. The testing of our faith develops perseverance. Perseverance. 
And then that perseverance brings growth. And he's saying, that's what you can rejoice in. You see, one thing that we learn through trials and and hardships is that God is far more concerned about developing our character than he is in protecting our comfort. He's far more concerned with your character, who you are, than with your comfort. You see, that principle is true in every person's life. Problems, pain, they provide an opportunity for us to grow at a rapid pace. That's true in my life, that's true in your life, that's true in your children's life. Now, honestly, I've never met a person who, when the transmission drops out of their car on the highway at five in the afternoon during rush hour traffic, said, Oh, praise the Lord! I'm rejoicing. You know, this is great. Now I can grow. No, of course not. You know, again, that's what people accuse Christians of being today, right? Phony, fake. Putting your faith in action doesn't mean that you deny the pain of the trial. You know, Jesus didn't stop Mary and Martha from crying when their brother Lazarus died. No, in fact, what did he do? He entered into their sorrow with them and he wept with them. But he also helped them to see the situation from another perspective. In fact, they ended up seeing the power and the glory of God manifested in a way that they never would have had they not gone through that painful experience. Man, they watched their brother, you know, walk away from his own burial. No matter what we go through, James is saying there can be this underlying spirit of joy, this calm under pressure, knowing that God never wastes a hurt. That the painful experience that you're going through, it can lead to your growth. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 puts it this way. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, which is greater than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, your faith may be proved genuine and and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now here's the truth though. When you're in the middle of a painful trial, when you're going through the tough stuff of life, it's just easy to forget that. So what do we do? Well, that leads to truth number three. Our trials require wisdom. So pray for it. Whatever you're going through, your trial, your hardship, your pain, it requires wisdom. So pray for it. Verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom... He should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Man, what a great promise. Now again, keep in mind that James is specifically, you know, talking about something. He's he's not, you know, talking about wisdom in general. Remember who he's writing to. He's talking about wisdom or perspective for the hardships that you're going through. You know, Wisdom sometimes is the ability to see, to see life from God's perspective. 
You know, it's different than knowledge. A knowledgeable person, you know, they might have the facts straight, but a wise person is able to make sense of it. And that's what you're needing when you're under pressure, when you're enduring a painful trial. You need more than knowledge about the facts and what, what's going on. You need wisdom. You need insight. And so James is saying, pray. Ask God for it. Now, when we pray for wisdom, God promises here that he's going to give it to you in two ways. First, it says here that he'll give it generously. In other words, he doesn't just dole out a little bit you know, at a time. It's not a rationing program. And then secondly, it says here that he'll give without finding fault. Man, I like that part because you ever ask help, ask for help from somebody and they do kind of help, but they complain about it the whole time. And they just beat you up the whole time. I mean, they, again, they find fault. It's like, okay, sure, I will help you. But, you know, if you had just listened to me in the first place, this stupid thing wouldn't have happened anyway, you know. You wouldn't be in the mess you're in now if you had just done the right thing. This is your own fault. They help, but they find fault. And James is saying here, when we ask God for wisdom, he gives generously and he doesn't find fault. In other words, he doesn't say, well, it's about time you ask, you loser. You know, I saw what you did last week and, you know, you made your bed, now lie in it. Ah, it says, he gives generously without finding fault. And I think some of you, I think God brought some of you here today to hear this. Your heavenly Father loves you. He's not mad at you. Man, he's mad about you. You know, your, your trials that you're going through, your hardships, they're not a form of divine retribution where God is paying you back for all the wrong you've done. You know what that is? That's karma. That is not Christianity. Jesus, listen to me, Jesus took your punishment on the cross. That's why Paul could say in Romans 8, 1, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Let me ask you, do you belong to Jesus? Then God's not punishing you in anger. He's perfecting you in love. And there's a big difference. Now there is one qualifier to receiving God's perspective on what you're going through. He says you must ask in faith. You have to believe. Verses 6 through 8. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded, unstable in all he does. What's he saying? He's saying you got to believe. you got to trust. Don't just say you believe and trust and then do the opposite. When you pray for wisdom, you say, Lord, whatever you guide me in doing, I'm going to do. Remember, it's about putting your faith into action. It's about trusting God and where he directs you because God honors prayer that is backed up by obedience. I think that's one of the things that David was praying for in Psalm 86.11. Listen to this. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. He says, give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. What's he asking for? 
He's asking God to give me a single-hearted devotion. You see, if you're praying for wisdom and perspective for the hardships that you're going through, and God reveals something to you, man, you got to trust Him. you got to be all in. Now, if you keep reading this little passage, it kind of seems like James all of a sudden is kind of veering off onto a whole new topic, topic of money. But actually, he's still talking about trials here. He's simply applying it, okay? His point is, if there's anything, and man, we can relate to this, if there is anything that threatens our ability to see God's perspective on life, it's money. Look at verses 9 through 11. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position. Because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man, the rich person will fade away even while he goes about his business. Now again, that might seem a little confusing, so what's he talking about here? He's making the point that when you and I are going through a trial, when times are tough and you're praying for wisdom, for God's perspective on whatever it is that you're going through, he's saying, hey, be careful. Don't be so quick to think that the answer to all your problems is simply more money. James is saying that both the rich and the poor You better be looking at your circumstances from God's perspective. You know, on one side, if times are tough for you financially, if you're hurting financially, don't wallow in self-pity and and envy. You know, take heart that ultimately your riches are in Christ. You're a child of the king, and he owns everything. And if you happen to have your health and family and friends and the promise of eternal life, he says, man, you ought to realize how spiritually blessed you really are. There are people today who would give it all to have what you have right now. And then on the other side, if you happen to have a little more money and a few more toys than other people, James says, hey, you better take pride in your low position." Don't think you're superior or that you're, you know, you're disqualified from hardship because you drive a nice car or live in a nice home. All those things can fade away in an instant. More money just means more problems and more stress. Here's the point. Trials, hardships, listen to me. They are no respecter of persons. Cancer. No respecter of persons. Both rich and poor are equally in need of God and his wisdom for life. That's what he's saying. And then finally, fact of life number four. Ultimately, trials can produce a reward. So focus on it. Trials produce a reward. So focus on it. Look at verse 12, how he closes this section out. Blessed, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life 
that God has promised to those who love him. So what, what James is saying in this final verse of this little section is this. Hang in there. Remember, he knew these people. He, the, these are the people that he had done life with. And he's telling them, listen, hang in there. Don't give up. You know, if you could only see what is coming for you, if you could only get just a small glimpse of what God has promised to those who love him. It's what the Apostle Paul was trying to get across when he wrote this in 2 Corinthians 4. For our light and momentary troubles are are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, again, remember, light and momentary troubles. Anybody remember where the Apostle Paul was, where he wrote most of his letters from? In prison. And then in Romans 8.18, he said this, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will give us later. Coastal, you know, we're talking about putting our faith into action, you know, just the the real stuff of faith. God wants us to grow up. He wants us to mature. He wants us to become more and more like Jesus. And, and, And so many people who call themselves Christians, who say they believe that they are stunted in their spiritual growth and maturity because they're just fighting God at every turn when they go through a trial, when they go through hard times. Again, listen to me. His ultimate goal is your character, not your comfort. And what James is saying to us today is that God can use whatever it is that you're going through right now for his glory and our good. God's not out on, you know, he's he's not on vacation. He's not out to lunch. He is with you, and he knows what he's doing, even if you and I don't. And that trial that you're facing right now, it has the potential to build your faith in ways that good times never could. Listen, here, here's the truth for, for, for me, for, you know, for pastors and preachers. We, we have got to be more faithful in proclaiming the whole word of God. You know, not just the parts that give everybody warm fuzzies. Not just the part that you can put little, you know, little memes up on your Facebook page or Instagram account. The suffering of God's people. That is a dominant theme throughout the whole Bible. Jesus never promised believers absolute peace and prosperity on this side of eternity. In fact, Jesus warned of suffering and persecution. In fact, he even said, listen, count the cost before you follow me. That's what he said. But I believe, and the Bible teaches, that there will be a day when we are standing in the glories of heaven There will be a day when the trumpet sounds, the sky splits, and Jesus reappears, or he calls you home, and you are standing in the glories of heaven when we will see our loved ones 
who have passed on before us, when we will see our friends with no more tears in their eyes, no more cancer, no more Alzheimer's, when, we'll, when the brokenness has been completely mended and we will be standing in the very physical presence of Jesus, and I promise you this, you will look back and you will shake your head and say, I cannot believe that I almost threw in the towel. I could not believe that I almost gave up. Guys, I don't know what brought you here today, and I don't know what trial you're in the middle of. But I know God loves you. I know he cares about you. And if you'll let him, he wants to use the pain that you're in right now for his glory and your good, for your growth. He loves you. And he's got a plan and a purpose for your life and even the pain that you're experiencing. You just need to come to him. Will you come to him today with all of it? He wants you just the way you are, whatever it is that you're going through. The Bible says, in fact, it says in James, come to God and he will come near to you. I'd like to step you through that today in prayer. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today I thank you for Pastor James and the, the encouragement and the instruction that he gives to the church today. God, I, I know there's a, a lot of folks that are hearing this that, are, that really are going through some hard stuff. Father, thank you today for your encouragement, that you love us, that you care about us, and that you can even see us through that and use whatever it is we're going through for your glory and our good. Listen, hang in there. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. The Bible says, come to God and he will come near to you. Listen, maybe you've never come to him in the very first place. Maybe you've never come to him in faith. I'm not talking about religion today. This series is about a personal relationship with God. And you can have that. You can begin that right now by putting your faith in Christ. Just pray something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I, I do want to come home. I have blown it. I've made a mess of things, God. And as much as I understand and much as I know how, today, I believe. I put my, my faith my trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Father, I believe that he is your son, that he went to a cross to pay for my sin, my mess-ups, my screw-ups. In other words, God, I, I, I understand that my sin put your son Jesus on that cross. But I also believe in what your word says, that he overcame death and sin and the grave. He proved his power over all that by rising from the dead. And I believe he's alive. And so I no longer put my trust in my ability to be good and religion and, and trying to you know, win your approval by my good deeds. God, I put my faith in Christ. And now, Father, just out of, out of gratitude and worship, I want to follow him for the rest of my days. I want to become 
more and more like you see me, more and more like Jesus. And Father, I ask very humbly that you would even use the pain and the trial that I'm going through right now for your glory and for my good. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Pastor Chris Rollins of Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.